morning. Welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, parents, if you want to dismiss your kids uh, to uh, children's time with Aletheia Jr., you feel free to do that and just meet uh, the teachers over here. Uh, if this is your first time with us or you haven't gotten one yet, uh, like I announce every time I'm up here, uh, we give out free uh, just scripture journals, uh, which just contain uh, the, the scripture for that we'll be reading today and studying together. So if you want one of those, just raise your hand. That's our free gift to you. Um, we just ask that you would bring that back with you. It'll give you a place to take some notes along with being able to kind of follow along with what we are seeing uh, in God's word as we study it here this morning. Um, so uh, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. We've only got a couple chapters left uh, of our study of this book, and then we'll have gone through the entire uh, letter. And, and kind of the point of this letter that we've seen so far um, is, th is that Paul's answering uh, this question of how should Christians live together as the church. So not just individual, but, but corporately together um, as well. And kind of his, his thesis is that uh, knowing Jesus and being in Christ should lead on an individual level to transformed lives, and those transformed lives will then lead to transformed churches, transformed communities, transformed world. And so uh, he, he starts off by making sure that we just understand what our identity is in Christ and what that looks like, understanding uh, the, the bad news of who we are apart from Jesus, and the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. And then he moves into these discussions on the issues that the church was struggling with relationally inside of Corinth. They were dealing with all sorts of things. They were dealing with problems of celebrity. They were dealing with problems of theology. Uh, they were dealing with problems of personality. And Kind of his point through maybe probably the first eight or nine chapters was, was that our identity in Christ should transform us in such a way that it then leads to unity inside of the church, obedience to God, and a deeper love for Jesus. And, and out of those three things, we'll begin to see kind of this, this transformation take hold inside of our church family. And so the last two weeks, I said that once you get to chapter 11, you start to see a pretty big shift uh, in what Paul is talking about. And he moves from a, a relational, uh, individual response to issues going on inside the church at Corinth to uh, how we show unity, how we grow and honor, how we develop uh, community inside of the corporate worship gathering. So what we would consider what we're doing right now. Paul, Paul is writing to this church because they had all sorts of problems. <laughs> this, this church, if there was something to argue over, they found a way to do it. It's kind of, how, it's kind of like the United States in 2022 or hopping on Facebook or Twitter. If there is something to argue about, we will find it and then we will argue about it. Well, we're not unique. The Corinthians had, had really blazed the trail on this for us. And so what Paul's doing is he's writing this letter and he's saying, look, okay, the reason you guys are struggling, the reason why you're dealing with so many issues inside of your church is because you've kind of lost your, your way in why we gather and you've lost your way in, in understanding 
who we're gathering for. That so much of kind of what they had struggled with was this idea that uh, they gathered together not to worship God, but for their, for their own appetites, for their own glory, for their own desires, that they had turned what was supposed to be the worship of God together as his people into really, in many ways, a consumeristic mindset of what they wanted. And so two weeks ago, we kind of saw the first thing that Paul was addressing was just dress inside of the church. We talked about headdressing. I am not going to go into that again this morning. Uh, if you want to go back and look at that sermon, it's posted on YouTube. You can go back and see it. But the, the point of what Paul was talking about that morning was this idea of the, the way we dress is, shows on a much bigger level the way that we honor one another and respect one another and show that honor and respect to one another because we show honor and respect to God and that there was a purpose behind that. And then last week, uh, Pastor Daniel kind of unpacked this idea of what it meant to take the Lord's Supper together and to do that with honor while showing respect to one another, but ultimately to worship Jesus. And so today, he's going to talk about spiritual gifts, and he's going to talk about how we honor God with our unique gifts inside of the local church. So I kind of got three goals for us this morning. We're going to present the specific issue with spiritual gifts that was going on inside of this church. And there are a number, but we're going to address just one. I'm going to discuss what spiritual gifts are. And then hopefully we're going to spend some time really unpacking the beauty of how God distributes those gifts. And in that, we're going to see the diversity that exists inside of the body of Christ because of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And we're going to talk about the point of spiritual gifts. And hopefully maybe you'll leave here this morning encouraged that you have a unique role to play in the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit has given you gifts that he wants you to use for his glory and the building up of the church. And then next week, uh, we're going to take a one-week break from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to unpack uh, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that uh, we, we as Christians tend to ignore or give too much credit to. Kind of tend to do one of two things. And so we're going we're gonna to spend a week unpacking the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, how we respond to Him, because the Holy Spirit is mentioned a number of times uh, here in chapter 11. So I want to take a, a week to dive a little bit deeper into that and give us a, a stronger understanding of that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at the first verse with me. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. All right, so Paul says, pay attention. You guys wrote a letter to me asking about spiritual gifts being used inside of the church. So listen up, I, I'm going to answer your questions. And it, it without having read the letter that, that the church at Corinth wrote to Paul, I can't say for sure what questions they asked, but I can infer from what Paul talks about. And here, here's likely what the questions were. The first one was this, how can we be sure that someone's gifts are actually from the Holy Spirit? That would be the first question they asked. And the second one would have probably gone something like this, what gifts should we desire the most or which gifts should we elevate the most inside of the church? So the, the church wanted to know how they could be positive that someone was actually using a gift from the Holy Spirit, and then they also wanted to know uh, which gifts they should run after the most. And this is not surprising. Um, spiritual gifts can be a kind of a, a really complicated uh, study 
for many of us. Many of us come from various denominational traditions, um, which can lead to differing opinions uh, on how to approach the gifts that God talks about inside of Scripture. And so Paul's approach to the, the Corinthians as he writes this letter is to give them a theological foundation for understanding spiritual gifts and then understanding how that falls in line with God's purpose for them and what he wants from them as the church. So look at verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, clearly, the church at Corinth was struggling to differentiate the gifts of the Holy Spirit from their former ecstatic religious experiences. Um, pagan, pagan religious experiences, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with history, but if you study, especially um, the, the religions of the Greeks and the Romans, um, temple worship could be pretty, what we would consider at least today, pretty odd and pretty bizarre. And uh, what the church in Corinth would have experienced was a, a worship experience that kind of included um, trances, uh, drug-induced psychosis, um, ecstatic experiences where they would um, go into chants and, and other things together. Um, there was often prostitution associated with, with it as well. So there would have been like a, a number of what you, what you might consider like ecstatic, emotional, responsive worship that would have occurred for them uh, as having lived in a city with a lot of, of pagan deities. And so some manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that he gave to the Corinthians were causing some inside the church to question their validity and the appropriateness of exercising those gifts inside the corporate worship setting at the church. Basically, what was happening <laughs> is they're saying, hey, we see people worshiping in ways similar to what we witnessed in our pagan temples, specifically speaking in tongues or ecstatic languages. How do we know that's okay? <laughs> like, 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 I kind of feel like I'm back in Zeus's temple. Or I feel like I'm back in the temple of Dionysus. Or whoever it may be, they were worried about running back to these former religious experiences that they had had in the past. And so they're writing Paul and they're saying, hey, how do, how do we know that we're not just falling back on these old practices that we had formerly and just kind of putting the Jesus name attached to them? Like, how, how can we be sure about that? And so Paul shares with them kind of two ways to be able to identify the work of the Holy Spirit inside of their church, right? He says, the first one is this, the Holy Spirit will never allow someone to say Jesus is accursed. He says, especially 
inside of this church, and we're going to see in a couple weeks the discussion of, of tongues. And so I'm going to talk about it a little bit this morning, but I always know that's the hot button. Thing. How many charismatics do I have in the room this morning? Okay, no one except for Isaiah Fetterman raised his hand. Because, because you guys know that we don't speak in tongues here regularly in service or anything like that, so you know, like, well, I can't raise my hand here. This place isn't Pentecostal enough for me. But you can find your buddy back there behind the computer. Isaiah will always be there to, to be excited about the spiritual gifts. But what was going on inside this church is, is, is some of them were exercising the spiritual gifts of tongues. Okay, And, and, and basically... If you've ever been around that experience before and you don't have a gift of interpretation or you don't have a gift of tongues, it sounds pretty confusing. And so what was happening is if someone didn't have the spiritual gift of tongues or they didn't have the gift of interpretation and they're hearing someone inside the worship service speaking in tongues around them, what's going to happen? They're going to they're be confused, primarily because they have no idea what's being said. And so they're like, hey, how do I know that that person's not cussing all of us out right now? I don't, I don't speak that language. I don't know what's going on. How do I know what's being said? And so Paul's kind of response to this when he says the Holy Spirit will never allow someone to say Jesus is a curse. He's kind of saying this. Okay. You can, you can be confident that that brother or sister in Christ, if you know them, and you know their profession of faith, and you've seen the evidence and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives, if you see them to begin speaking in tongues, take a deep breath, calm down, right? Rest assured that a true believer is not cursing the name of God, even if you can't understand the tongue, right? He's trying to create an environment inside of the church that allows for the expression of this gift without there being questioning the sincerity of the faith of those that are exercising the gift. Now, he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit not only will not allow someone to say Jesus is accursed if they're in Christ, but that the Holy Spirit would also empower us to proclaim Jesus is Lord. So he's saying, hey, if someone is in Christ, and if you're confident in those around you, right, in their profession of faith and what God has done, Right? You can be confident that God will not allow them to curse his name, but that all who profess faith in Christ have valuable gifts, and those gifts raise up Jesus as Lord. Meaning, if you've ever been in a situation where you've seen someone speaking in tongues and you felt uncomfortable or whatever is going on, I'm not telling you not to feel uncomfortable. I'm not telling you how to, how to respond to that. But what I am saying is, is we can probably take a step back and take a deep breath and just say, okay, the Holy Spirit has promised us that whatever is going on here is at least done from a sense of sincerity to elevate the name of God and make much of Jesus. We can have a discussion on whether we should be doing that, and actually Paul's going to do that in a couple weeks. <laughs> We're going to get to that and have a lot of fun talking about that. But on a, on a foundational level, this is an opportunity for our faith in God to be increased because the Holy Spirit has promised us that if someone is in Christ, they will not curse the name of God. They will only make much of Jesus, especially in the exercising of their spiritual, their spiritual gifts. Meaning, the, the more important thing for us is to examine one another's lives and our confession because that will show the validity of what we're doing. Hey, and guys, this isn't just 
attached to what we would consider maybe some of the more sensational gifts. That there are a variety of gifts listed throughout the scripture that are called spiritual gifts. And we'll talk about them a little bit more here in just a minute. But Paul's point is that it doesn't matter how gifted you are. If it's, if it's a gift from God, you will elevate Jesus and make much of him. And if you find someone that's speaking ill of Christ, it's not a spiritual gift. And they're likely not in him. So what are spiritual gifts? Right? We've seen now that if the power of God is behind them, we can rest assured in the motivation behind what that gift is supposed to do. But let's look a little bit more at what they are, starting in verse 4. It says, Now there are, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. All right, so let's start with this. The first thing we need to understand about spiritual gifts is that there is a diversity of them. And that every one of those gifts matters. I know that we have a tendency to be just like the church in Corinth where we want some of like the, the, the gifts that maybe bring a little bit more attention or celebrity to ourselves. And we think people with those particular gifts might be more important or matter more. But according to Paul... There is a diversity of spiritual gifts, and they all matter. And to prove this point, if you look closely here, he compares it to the doctrine of the Trinity. Right? Look, look closely, right? He says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Right? He's saying, hey, gifts are supernatural talent, and there's a variety of them given by the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit operates, that he gives gifts to his people, right? Look at this next line. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. Meaning, okay, some of these gifts are acts of service. What are they doing? If you have gifts that could be considered service gifts, by definition, they're meant to show off Jesus, who is the ultimate servant, right? That there are opportunities for unique ministry areas that some of you guys are going to perform better than others to make much of Jesus because Jesus is the suffering servant for our sake. Look at this next part. He says there are a variety of activities, but the same God. Right? That word activities means like energetic or to energize in the Greek. It's a, it's a word for active kind of miraculous power or miraculous events, meaning that at least inside the church at Corinth, there were some that had the ability to do things that were not normal, that there were miraculous things going on. But in that, right, that miraculous power was compared to the power of God the Father who literally spoke the universe into existence. Pretty miraculous, right? Right, that these gifts are to mimic and image our God and make much of him. And in the same way that God is Trinity and diverse in his persons and his activities, so is the body of Christ. That many people in this room this morning have different abilities, talents, 
and roles inside of the body of Christ, but all of them come together to build the church and make much of our God. Right, one of the things that was fascinating a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about head coverings and we were talking about um, specifically the, the role of a helper and the Holy Spirit and how that fits inside the doctrine of the Trinity, at least in my group, it led to a really kind of interesting discussion on, on how the Trinity interacts with one another. And I think we don't have time to go into it today because anytime you start trying to break down the Trinity, I get a massive headache. Just pop an Advil and let's go. But when you, when, you look at, when you look at who God is and the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, you often see them each functioning inside unique roles and activities, but they work not independently of one another, but with and conjunction with one another, and they work in humility and honor of one another, ultimately bringing glory to the Godhead. And Paul's point behind this is, hey, some of you guys have gifts that might bring a little bit more attention to yourselves. But those gifts aren't designed to bring attention to you. They're designed to reflect the glory of your creator. And that there's a diversity in these gifts the same way that there's diversity in the Godhead. To bring honor to our creator. And in bringing that honor to our creator, look at what happens in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gives, gives gifts to every disciple of Jesus for the common good. What does that mean? means if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, God has uniquely gifted you, not for you, but for others. He's gifted you for the church. It means there are other people in this room whose lives will be encouraged and equipped and empowered because of you. It means that there are people not in this room this morning who maybe do not know Jesus as their God, Savior, and King yet. Who will benefit, who will see Jesus for who he is, and whose lives will be encouraged, equipped, and empowered because of your spiritual gifts. God has given us gifts not for our own selfish ambitions or desires or celebrity, but for the benefit of those around us inside of our spheres of influence. Church, hear me on this. Because you don't see a command given by Paul here, but I'm here to tell you this. This is a call to serve. This is a call to lay down your life for the good of others. You know, there, when I was in college, my, I had a, a, a minor in the school of business. 
And any business majors in the room here this morning? Okay, amen, all three of you. If I asked engineers, 60,000 hands would have immediately gone up. Thank you for being here and bringing some diversity to the city of Gainesville, business majors. When I was, in, when I was taking some of those business classes, I loved business school because it was just so practical. They don't care about anything else except what works. What will make us money, what will help us save money, and what will help us take that money and make more money with that money. That's the, that's the way business people operate. Some of you guys are like, that's terrible. Well, we can have a long discussion about that at some other time. But the practicality of it, and, and this is one of the things they said about organizations. And anyone who's ever worked in a group project or been on a team or had a job knows this to be true. It's called the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Some of you guys are like, I hate my group project team because of the 80-20 rule. You're a part of that 20% doing 80% of the work. I, I apologize. The church is not designed to be that way, guys. And I think one of the reasons that we sometimes look at the church with angst or frustration or disappointment is because we fail to pull our own weight with the gifts that God has given us or we fail to encourage or exhort and call our brothers and sisters around us to use their gifts. Oftentimes I know someone has a gift because they'll come up to me and they'll start complaining about something here at the church. And, here, and here's, how I, here's how I know that they're gifted in this area. They're noticing something that someone else hasn't noticed, right? Like people with gifts of hospitality, let's just use that one as an example, right? Will walk up to me like, hey, like, why don't you guys do this, do this, and do this to make people feel more welcome? Because I'm not gifted in that area, and you are, and you're supposed to be leading that. Well, I, I don't know. It's like, dude, do not. Some of you guys are, are about to hear something fascinating. If you come to me complaining about something, you will be leading a ministry team soon. <laughs> it's how it works around here, right? And that's a good thing, right? Because you have gifts that I don't have. Right? God has uniquely positioned you to be able to do things that I don't have the capacity to do, that Pastor Daniel doesn't have the capacity to do, that Pastor Theo doesn't have the capacity for, that Pastor Stephen doesn't have the capacity for. You are needed. You matter. God wants to use you. And for so many of us, right, we get so bogged down or like overwhelmed or whatever else, that we fail to see that using those gifts is actually a pathway to freedom and enjoyment. That, that in using them, God will liberate you to actually experience more joy because God designed you to be operating inside of that gift. It's like, if you come to a place and you're not serving and you're not using your gifts and you feel like that place isn't all that it could be, you're absolutely right. Because that place needs you. That place needs your gifts. And some of you guys are like, well, why did God do it this way? I don't know. But isn't it amazing that he cares enough to desire to use us to make much of him? Because this is a call to be 
the church. In two weeks, David Dominguez is going to go, go into a little bit more depth about this. Because hear me on this. The church struggles when we don't use our gifts for others, for the common good. Right, look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Right, just think about it in lines of what the author of Hebrews says. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right, the church, and this is one of the weird things about the church. The church is supposed to be a family. Sometimes family can be a bit much. Like, how many of you guys have ever gone away for a holiday to be with family and you can't wait for an actual vacation once you get away from your family, right? Thank you. Three of you are honest. The rest are like, well, I'm sitting next to my family, so I'm not going to raise my hand right now. Right? The church is called to be a place of encouragement, of exhortation, reminding one another, right? A good church looks like this. We come together and we remind one another of how hard life can be. We don't try to lie about it and try to say like, hey, come to Jesus and, and everything will be great and your life will never be terrible again. No, we come together knowing that we're aliens sojourning in a foreign land and that this world is still not the shalom that God intended it to be. And as we gather together, we remind one another of how hard this life can be. And yet we encourage one another to not lose heart, but to look to Jesus. And your gifts are an important part of that. Some of you might do that through preaching or teaching. Others might do it through hospitality. Others might do it through their faith and their testimony. How many of you guys have ever been in a hard season and someone around you has an amazing story of God's faithfulness and it encouraged you to keep going? Right? Amen. So thankful for those people. Others, through organizational prowess, you're like, how in the world could organizational prowess help build the body of Christ? I promise you, if Pastor Theo didn't exist, you would all want to murder me. <laughs> you know, like getting responses to your emails. How many of you like that? Wouldn't happen if it was just me. I'm telling you right now. Right? That facilitates ministry. It facilitates encouragement. It facilitates exhortation. All of those gifts coming together work to encourage us so that we might trust Jesus more and see a greater worship of him. And here's what was going on inside of Corinth. They were pridefully enjoying and elevating certain gifts while using those gifts to alienate others. They're kind of saying, well, hey, this gift is really awesome and I have it and you don't. Maybe you're not really in Christ. 
If you don't have this gift, I can't be sure that Jesus really loves you. And what Paul is saying is, no, God loves you. And he has given you a gift to be exercised and to serve his body to build them up because you are an important piece of his family, the church, the body of Christ. You know, some of you guys know this story. But my youngest son, Josiah, has epilepsy. We discovered it about like day two or three of his life. And of his first 60 days on this earth, about 45 of them were spent in the hospital at Chance. My wife lived at Chance. And I think Jackie and I would both say that that is the most difficult season we've ever walked through in our 30-some years on this earth. We were plagued with despair. We were destroyed at watching our little boy struggle so much. Doubt and God's goodness plagued us. You know, as you see your, your baby sitting there struggling, not knowing, is he ever going to walk? Is he ever going to talk? Is he going to grow? Is this going to kill him? And we went to some dark places. And if it wasn't for the church, I don't know if Jackie and I would have made it out. And if it wasn't for the diversity of gifts in the local church, I don't know if God's goodness would have tasted as sweet to us. Some people had just gifts of encouragement and love. And they just prayed for us and with us constantly. Never losing hope that God was going to do something. Some had gifts of, 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 of prophecy or of exhortation, and they, and they would just send encouraging and uplifting scripture to us, reminding us of God's promises. Some had gifts of hospitality, and they just made meals and brought them to us at the hospital or brought them to our house. Some had, had gifts of help, where they watched our son Gideon for us so that we could be together dealing with the doctors. Some had gifts of administration and organization. Guys, during that season as a pastor of the church, I was preaching and that was about it. It's all I could handle bandwidth-wise. There are people that stepped up and took care of all the administrative things that happened at the church during that season. Because during that time, I was pastor, church planner, preacher, website designer, church database administrator, phone call person, email person. I wasn't able to do any of those things. People stepped up and led and took those things over. So people served and just cleaned our house. And the man was I thankful for people in our church from the medical community that could translate the medical jargon for us as we made decisions. God used his church and the gifts that existed inside of it to bring us out of despair and to a place of hope and faith. 
And how amazing is it that God wants to use you in the exact same ways in someone else's life? Because no gift is insignificant inside the body of Christ. Just because I'm up here preaching and teaching and that gift brings a lot of attention does not mean that I am more important to the life of Aletheia Church. Guys, there are people inside of this church whose names you will never know. Whose gifts matter just as much, if not more so than mine. Because that's how God designed the body of Christ to operate. And it's beautiful. Because what it does is it reminds each of us how important we are and how it's not all about us. It does both those things at the same time. You matter and it's not all about you. It's so liberating. So let's look at some of the examples of gifts that Paul gives them. Because right? he wants them to understand the theology behind this. He wants them to understand the why of the spiritual gifts and why they have them. And he wants them to understand what some of the, those gifts are. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All right. So there's, a mul there's, there's eight gifts just listed right there. And for reference, if you want some more, there's some in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We're not going to go through them. There's more listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Um, the, there are a number of different types of gifts listed throughout the scriptures. But Paul's listing some specific gifts that were, that were operating inside the church of Corinth that he wanted them to kind of be able to work through and understand, right? So look at that first one, right? Utterance of wisdom, right? This is a, this is a gift, right? And here's something to understand about spiritual gifts, guys. There is natural talents that human beings are born with, and then there are spiritual gifts, Sometimes spiritual gifts are an elevation of that talent or ability you have. And sometimes spiritual gifts are something that did not exist in your life before you became a follower of Jesus. And here's how I know these gifts exist. Okay. I did not come to know the Lord until I was in college. And one of the gifts that the Lord has given me is generosity. And I can assure you it was 180 degrees, life turned around, went from being an ungenerous, selfish person to wanting to give everything away almost overnight because God had given that gift to me. That's, that is how, how it can work. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. I've tried to give away everything we own multiple times. Right? So there's natural giftings that God gives human beings that you might be born with or that you might develop over time. And there are spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit pours out. And one of those is an utterance of wisdom. Well, what is that? This is basically the ability to apply scripture to someone's life. The ability to apply the gospel to our lives. To take God's truth and apply it to modern scenarios. 
Okay, so if you're struggling with someone, there might be certain people that you go to think for things like counseling or help, help you understand through something. They probably have an utterance of wisdom. The ability to understand God's word and apply it to your life, which is different from the next one, which is utterance of knowledge. This is, a, this is knowledge of scripture or the ability to explain theology, right? These people drive me crazy, right? Because I can spend... 40 hours in a week studying the Holy Spirit or studying the Trinity. I mean, like, man, I want to explain this to somebody. And then there's somebody like R.C. Sproul or other people over the years who've been a gift to the church, and you sit down with them, and they, they look at something, and then they answer in two seconds a completely compact and concise version of what you're, what you're trying to understand, and there's no heresy in it. And you're like, well, Kevin, you just talked for 40 minutes about that. Yes, I needed that because I'm dumb. I don't have an utterance of knowledge. It's hard work, right? You sit down with other people and they're like, oh yeah, yeah let, me, let, me, uh, let me explain transubstantiation to you really quickly. I'm like, oh, well, I don't even know what that word is. You probably don't have an utterance of knowledge. But there are people inside the church that do, that are given to the church to help us understand God on a deeper level so that we might know who he is. The next one, faith, right? These are people that are, that are able to just trust in God's work on a much deeper level than the average person, right? Go over to Matthew chapter 17 real quick with me. Jesus kind of talks about this a little bit. Um, there's, there's a boy with a demon and the disciples have been um, performing miracles and doing all these things, announcing and proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And then they get to this boy and they can't cast the demon out of him. And so Jesus shows up, and surprise, surprise, he casts the demon out of the little boy. And then his disciples are like, what is wrong with us? Like, why, like, why couldn't we do that? And you just walked up and were like, get out. And it happened. And look at what Jesus says. He said to them, because of your little faith, <laughs> for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Right now, I'm not going to get into the weeds of moving mountains, but but know the the gift of faith. There are some people that their house is on fire, and they're sitting inside of the house praying, and then all of a sudden, like the fire goes out, and you're like, "Yeah, I would have run," or you know, like called the authorities, or whatever else. People with the gift of faith ha- have a, an ability to trust God when everything around them is in complete chaos. One of my favorite examples of this was, is the missionary George Mueller, if you know anything about him. Um, he was a Christian missionary and evangelist, and he also was the coordinator of like a major orphanage in the city of Bristol uh, in, in England. And I mean, over the course of his life, he traveled like something like 200,000 miles. And this is the 1800s, guys, so there, were, there was not airplanes. Um, 200,000 miles to preach the gospel uh, in 42 different countries. And one of the things he did is he kept a journal talking about things in, in his life. And one of the things you see from his life is that he had the gift of faith. And on one example, here's something that he left in his journal. He said, one morning... Uh, at the orphanage that he was at, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. 
Larder, by the way, is like a, a pantry. If you don't know what that is. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal. He said, I got up before the, ch- the kids and I raised my hands. I said, children, you know we must be in time for school. So let's pray. And then he lifted up his hands and he said, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. No food, nothing in front of them, no promises, nothing. And here he is praying in front of these kids. God, thanks for this food when there's nothing there. He said, immediately there was a knock on the door. And there was a baker standing there and said, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. And so I got up at 2 a.m., and I started baking bread for breakfast for the kids this morning because I was afraid you wouldn't have enough and the Lord wanted me to send you some. Here, have the fresh bread. I brought it to you. And he said, as the baker brought the bread into the orphanage, behind him, they shut the door. There was a second knock at the door and there was a milkman there. His cart wheel had broken directly outside of the orphanage and the milk was going to spoil. So he said, can I bring all the milk in for the kids and let you have it so that I can then repair my wagon and go back and get more milk and then make my deliveries? People with the gift of faith have that kind of ability. In in the face of it not making any sense, they're there to encourage you to continue to trust in God even when it's hard for you to do so. Now, The next five gifts that are listed, I want to give a little bit of of a note on because the church over the years has um, argued over whether these gifts still exist or not. And so I'm going to give you the spiritual gifts can sometimes be thrown into into, different categories like service or uh, uh, miraculous things that we talked about earlier, a variety of gifts that um, were underneath God that Paul talked about earlier. Um, some might even call them sign gifts. Some of you guys may have heard that term used to describe them before. There's kind of three views that the church has taken on these gifts over the years. So I'm going to throw some, some fun terms out for you, and you can do with them what you want. All right? Uh, but people tend to kind of f- fall into one of three camps on the, the, the existence of these gifts today. The first one would be continualist or continuation. And, and what this means is that people believe that these gifts— continue today, and that God reveals himself through these supernatural gifts to us. So the kind of the thought is that some of these gifts were given to show off the power of God and who he was and to bring validity to the gospel, right? So you would, if you came into a place and said, hey, God sent me here to start a church, and people would be like, prove it. Some of these gifts would be used to prove the power of God to people through the Holy Spirit, right? And continualists say those gifts still exist today, and it's how God validates power inside of ministry today. The second group would be called uh, like the modification group, and, and they believe this, that the gifts have gone through some, some shifts over the last several thousand years, and that they still exist, but they're not as prevalent today because the early church needed them for the validation of Scripture, and that's, that's no longer necessary because we have the Bible in its full form and finished canon today. And so they would say, like, these gifts might still exist, but they're not used nearly as often, and, that we're, and where they're used, they're primarily used in places 
where the Bible has not been translated into that tribe or tongue. And so God uses these gifts to continue to bring validation to the gospel until the scriptures are put into their tongue and then they have the word of God there for them, okay? The third group are, are what's commonly referred to as cessationists. And, and here's kind of what they believe. They would say this, all supernatural gifts and revelation or the sign gifts cease to exist now because God has fully uh, given us his word and canon in scripture. Kind of, kind of three different categories. I'm not going to tell you which, ca- which, which lane to go in. If you want to know where I'm at, I'm modification camp with, with kind of like my, my own nuance to that. But here's the deal. We've got people representing every background in Aletheia Church, and we get along just fine. Okay? It can be done. Right? And as we kind of parse through that, here's what some of those different gifts look like. Right? Gifts of healing. This was the ability to heal the, the, the body in supernatural ways. has multiple applications. I've heard people even say to me, some people are, that would never be doctors became doctors because they became Christians first, and then God gave them the ability to get through medical school. Can't disprove it, so maybe it's true. Right? Here's the next one, miracles. These were supernatural events or things that God did. Right? I've heard cessationists say there's no such thing as a miracle anymore. If you talk to a continualist, They'll tell you any story on the front lines of where the gospel is going about miracles happening. Again, not going to argue with you. Don't know. Prophecy. This is the ability to speak God's word and confirm the truth of his word to others. So like preaching, but also at times was God's people giving a word or a warning about something that was to happen in the future. So it, could, it very much has a preaching aspect, but it also can have a prophetic aspect to it as well. Number seven, uh, distinguishing between spirits. This is a supernatural ability that some have to be able to discern whether something is of God or of evil. Right? I'm really thankful for these people, by the way, in my life. Super helpful. Right? If you know someone that has this gift, hang out with them. They'll help you avoid a lot of problems. Right? Like There'll be something that you think is just great, and this person's like, you know, I think Satan's running this. And he'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, this is amazing. Like, people are being fed, and there's all this good stuff. He's like, no, I think, I think Satan's behind this. And they're like, we should run. Should not get involved with this. I've seen people do this in ministry like tons of times over the years. And then like six months later, you find out that like that person was like siphoning money and stealing and there was all sorts of chaos going on inside of there. And they're like, that guy's like, yeah, I told you. And you're like, how did you see that? It's like, I just had a weird feeling about it. And you're like, okay, gotcha. You have that gift. The last one, tongues. Here we go. I heard a noise there, right? Here we go. All right, here's what I'm going to say about, that, this, about tongues this morning, because we're going to get another opportunity to talk about it again in a couple of weeks, but here's just what I'll say about it. Frequently, tongues is referred to inside of the scripture as a known human language, or the ability to at least understand it as an, intelligible, as a, as an intelligent, knowable language. It's like in the book of Acts, when you see uh, the disciples go out and they begin preaching and the people are like, yeah, they're speaking in our language and they're not educated people. How are they doing this? Right? Those were known tongues that they were able to speak. So 
Tongues can be referred to as human languages or as divine speech, but when it's referenced in Scripture, it's always referenced as under control, its ability to be understood, and that the Holy Spirit always enabled someone with the ability to interpret that gift or it was not to be exercised in the corporate worship gathering. And we'll see more about that in a couple weeks. Now, these are just eight examples of the gifts that the Corinthians would have seen. But Paul's point is look at the diversity of your gifts and use them to build each other up in Christ. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, hear me on this. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift, whether you know it or not. Sometimes multiple gifts. You have them. You might not know what they are because you haven't been trying to exercise them, but you have them. That is a promise of God to you that you have a gift. And God has given them to you, not to be wasted, not to be set aside, not, not to, to be ignored, but to empower you to serve others. To put this another way, you matter to God. Right? If, if you're walking through life right now and you're like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't feel like I matter, I don't think I'm important, I don't... I don't have the ability to do this or whatever. Does not exist in the body of Christ that someone doesn't matter. It does not exist. It does not exist. It is a lie from the pit of hell. You matter to the body of Christ. I don't care how small your gift is. I don't, I don't care how insignificant you think you are. You matter to God. And you matter to his family. There, there are times in our church where there is a, a, a gift that is lacking somewhere. And I know someone in this room has it, but it's not being exercised to its full strength. And we're hurting because of it. We need you. Not because the gospel will fail without you. God has promised that's good to go. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But man, could we be functioning at a much more enjoyable, much higher, much joy-filled rate if we were all just using our gifts for the glory of God to make much of him and to serve others? You uniquely matter as part of God's plan. God wants to use you. 